Hello and good morning or evening from wherever you're tuning in from. I'm Agathe Bernard. And I'm Siam Heddal. And you're welcome to today's episode of Media Dissectors on the politics of an image, the podcast that regularly dives into matters of media, arts and social justice. We're a group of media students who aren't afraid to initiate conversations that challenge popular and mainstream discourses. And today, we're going to dissect the image of the Afghan girl so as to navigate through the concept of media effects and the idea of distant suffering with a dual lens of psychology and media. In simpler terms, we're going to look at how an image is used to produce emotional responses amongst the audiences and how there are multiple layers of complexity to the formation and distribution of one message. We're going to do this with the help of a case study and an in-depth conversation with our guest speaker. So stay tuned. You must have heard of the phrase, don't judge the book by its cover. This is exactly what we are aiming for our listeners to do. To not just accept media messages as they come off their surface level, but really engage with them. We hope different ideas and points of views can help you gain perspective on these concepts. So Agath, without any further ado, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, certainly. We have with us Saisha Bensal, a psychology student from India, who's also a writer. Her interests lie in human emotion and reaction and how it helps facilitate change. We're glad to have you on board, Saisha. Thank you, Agath and Sia. You guys have chosen a really fascinating and a thought-provoking topic here. I've been looking forward to this exchange of information. I'm coming from a straight psychology background, so I might be unfamiliar with the media jargon. So I'll need you guys to explain these terms time and again. I hope that's all right. Of course, Aisha. We'll be doing that all throughout the episode. Awesome. So let's begin. First, we're going to play a game of first impressions with Sia and Saisha to see their reaction to our case study for today, which is the Afghan girl. All of us have a digital copy of the June 1985 cover of the National Geographic magazine that was captured by the world-renowned photographer Steve McCurry. For those of you who have never seen or heard about the portrait of the Afghan girl, don't worry, we're going to give you some context and description. You can also check it out on our website www.mediadissectors.com where you can find the image as well as other supplementary resources attached with it. So now our panelists are going to tell us the first thing that comes to their mind when they see this image. Saisha, do you want to start? Sure. I remember feeling very uncomfortable when I first saw the image and that was very powerful because what makes us uncomfortable, our mind remembers, so it can protect us against it in the future. This image elicits two very carnal instincts in us, which is why it had such a huge impact on me along with so many other people across the globe. First is eye contact. When you look at the image, you can't help but look into the girl's eyes. Prolonged eye contact can cause our nervous system to release oxytocin. This hormone is associated with long-term attachment and compassion. The second response revolves around our basic instinct to reproduce and continue the human race. This makes us protective over the young and we instinctively want to save them from any danger. The girl in the image is very young. Her eyes are filled with fear. She has dirt all over herself. You look at her and you wish you could help her. It's one of the most psychologically smart images that I've ever seen. Wow, that's quite interesting. Well, yeah, I think she has been considered as the face of the refugee crisis for so many years. Uh, Sia, maybe do you want to give some context to the image along with your first impressions? Yeah. 
well who doesn't remember the afghan girl right i don't even have to see it again to be able to recall the visual i remember it being situated in pakistan where steve mccurry was on a commissioned assignment from the national geographic this picture is from a girls school that was set up in one of the refugee camps at that time and as far as my first impression goes it's directly towards the sense of aesthetics over here By aesthetics, I mean the composition, framing, and color scheme of the image, which is a typical McCurry style. Hmm. And as a photography student, I'm able to identify his pictures through the portrait style that indulges in subjects that have striking colors and features, with mostly a neutral facial expression. You know, it kind of has a way to draw the viewer in, and as Sasha said, has an ability to make us feel something. So much so that it feels staged. to please the eye as well as the mind. Right, so I see a strong mutual grounding between Saisha's point about the picture being psychologically smart and Sia's point about it feeling staged. This actually can be connected to the importance of characteristics of the image that the media scholar um Shuliaraki highlights in her book The Spectatorship of Suffering. She emphasizes the significance of the elements of mediation like verbal non-verbal and visual language amongst others to establish the relationship between the spectator and the distance of her in this case Shabet Gula would you like to comment on this yeah yeah definitely i would firstly like to explain the concept of distance suffering so that our listeners can follow through the following conversation yeah great go ahead so distance suffering it can literally be distinguished by seeing two people one being the spectator who is watching the news or viewing the story from a distance with the help of a medium like a tv or maybe a smartphone and the other is the distant sufferer who is actually going through the issue or the experience itself this cannot be simplified into a generic definition which is exactly why we're attempting to capture its multidimensional nature through this dissection come discussion coming back to your question agat Honestly, I'm a bit perplexed about the relationship between the two parties here. On the surface level, it seems quite emotional and direct. But knowing that there is more to the story, my point of view has completely changed. The voice that is supposed to be represented is actually being staged here. Oh, um could you expand on this? Yeah, so I remember reading an article about this in an Indian publication, The Vayu. that discussed the controversy behind the image it was basically an expose where a journalist talked to shabat gulla and portrayed her feelings and her voice for the first time after 17 years so you mean the real story behind the picture suggests something entirely different mm-hmm. exactly while taking this picture the consent and morality was dismissed because she was in a girls school and in their culture it's frowned upon to look into the eyes of a man but in 1984 steve mccurry went into the girls school and asked the teacher if sharbat gulla could remove her veil and pose for him this was quite uncomfortable for her at the time which she also accepted in her interview years later so the emotions that we see in her eyes that were initially described as fear of war through the haun- through her haunted and traumatized eyes was actually her fear and anger for the h- photographer himself because he was like invading her personal space hmm. this brings us to the subject of ethics and a major point of contention in media debates i would actually like to know saisha's thought on this a different perspective might give us some fresh insights Honestly, this shocks me. 
as I had no idea about the full story behind this image. Her voice wasn't represented at all, rather misrepresented. And for that matter, I also noticed that we didn't even know her name until recently. She was just the Afghan girl. I think the photographer could and should have done this in a different way. The girl was already going through the trauma of a war. And if she was clicked without her consent, that must have terrorized her more. I believe he could have done a much better job if he hadn't tried to stage an image. I say this because there's a fine difference between sympathy and empathy. And when we look at this picture, we feel sympathy. It makes me wonder if he had clicked something real and not staged, would it have succeeded in making us feel empathy and hence bringing out an even stronger emotional reaction from us? Exactly. These elements are so important as they help us in the meaning-making process. What you said directly taps into Shuliarki's idea of the paradox of time and distance. Do you think you can explain that through an example or two? Yeah, I think two contrasting examples would help. Great, I'm all yours. So, on the one hand, we can see the footage from the Iraq war, which had a top-angle approach where the people seemed like dots on screen. It followed the kind of storytelling where, you know, you'd feel like, okay, there is somebody out there going through this, but maybe they're not real. I don't know their story, their voices, and I can't see their faces, so I can easily put that in the backseat and watch it while I'm eating popcorn in the comfort of my sofa. It resembled film cinematography techniques, creating a lot of distance, both literally and figuratively. And, on the other hand, there is a short film by Amnesty International Poland that Agat and I recently saw in one of our master's seminars. It was a human experiment where people across borders were made to look into each other's eyes. This approach was completely different from the former, as the two people looked at each other as equals. This portrays a more authentic message and helps with the empathy part, you know. Wow, now that I think about it, the kind of power the person creating the image holds is unbelievable and even scary at times. Yeah, especially when you're associated with such a powerful magazine like Nat Geo in this case. You're bound to have a lot of power from creating the message to distributing it. I feel it's so crucial to be ethical in practice, especially to bear in mind the consequences that follow. Agat, would you like to comment on this? Yeah, definitely. So I follow Steve McCurry on Instagram and he posted just yesterday about the fact that his family, along with the British American charity and other NGOs, have together elevated Shabat Gula out of distress and brought her to safety. Um, he addresses her as the symbol of Afghan refugees mm -hmm. and doesn't shy away from taking credit for saving her. This is kind of typical of the white man's savior complex mm. we're all familiar with. I mean, she wouldn't be in danger in the first place if the image was taken ethically. I don't know, what, you, what do you guys think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. She was imprisoned in Pakistan for identity theft and was eventually deported and displaced multiple times due to the virality of her picture. Yeah. This has posed a lot of threats to herself and her family, and it continues till date. Imagine, it's been more than three decades. Yeah, but there's also the flip side to the coin. Uh, I mean, she has been the face of the refugee crisis and also the reason why people have participated in an ongoing conversation as a result of the emotions and media effects evoked by the visual. Um, I'm interested to know how you think that bending the rules and morality of journalism and the staging of her suffering is, you know, justified. 
Hmm. Despite these claims, we have to look at it this way. The consequences for the news platform and journalist were fame, money and praise. Whereas the person actually suffering has to go through another layer of suffering. This staging cannot be justified. But I think these discussions around questioning the message can alter the way we consume information. We really need to make an effort before believing sources, especially the most popular and apparently reliable ones. I agree. I think this has become easier in the digital age as we have multiple resources at the tip of our fingers. Yeah, but I think because we're in this digital age, we're also constantly in the space of information overload. We're so immersed into technology that we don't even realize the amount of information we are consuming and when we are consuming it. Do you think there's a way to deal with this sort of numbness or the indifference that kicks in when we see all the world's problems at one glance or maybe in a scroll? Oh, you mean compassion fatigue? That's mm -hmm. a technical term for the indifference you're referring to, Sia. Um, I think I would let Saisha take this on with her lens of psychology. Sure. But first, I would like to say that compassion fatigue is not a weakness or even a bad thing in my opinion, because it tells us just how capable we are of caring about others suffering. In this day and age, our senses are overloaded and stimulation is thrown at us every single day. This has caused us to become desensitized to a certain extent. You hear about the refugees, then you hear about the rising rate of women and child abuse, then you read about world hunger and poverty. This does two things. First, it steers our focus away from the refugee situation and makes it less important. And second, it makes us feel small and helpless. We feel like the world is burning right in front of us, but all we have is a bucket of water. This can cause a lot of anxiety and a deep sense of hopelessness and despair, which is enough to disrupt our daily lives. There are a few ways to tackle this. First is to realize that we cannot save everyone. It's a harsh truth, but once you accept it, it will take the pressure off you. This will allow you to focus on the issue that you're the most passionate about, and you will be more likely to take action. Second is to focus your attention on the right person for you. Let's take an example of domestic violence. Do you want to help the victim or correct the abuser? The paths to these are completely different. So you have to choose for yourself, which will make you feel more accomplished and motivated. And lastly, I would like to add this. You cannot change the world if you're weighed down by it, mad at it, or feel helpless and sad at that. That's why it's crucial to take care of yourself and your mental health while you're helping the world. Wow, that's great advice. Thank you, Saisha and Agath. We've hereby had a successful dissection with some food for thought for the listeners. Thank you for having me. We're now wrapping up with the possibility of hope and a way to go around compassion fatigue. The idea really is to choose your battles and realize that at the end of it, we're all human. Yeah, well, we have the potential to change the world. It can be done in small parts that add up to a larger sum. So the idea is to investigate and be active participants rather than passive consumers. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Until then, feel free to send in your feedback and talk to us on our social media pages and website. We're all for keeping the conversation going. All right. Bye. Bye.